And uh, I'll just remind you, like I was telling first service, if there's ever a Sunday where you just cannot make it here because your schedule doesn't permit it or you're sick, I'd invite you to check out our online service. It's live at 9 o'clock. You could just dial into that and watch it. Or if you missed that, you can go to connectionchristian.org, and we will have the message up pretty quickly after that. So you can stay connected with what's going on here at Connection. If you got one of the worship folders on your way in, I'd invite you to take it out. There's a place you can take notes and the on the message there and there's a lot of things going on here at connection they're so exciting and just encourage you to look at all of those things and find out what it is that you could be a part of so if i were to think about occupations that people are in that are very dangerous i would have to say law enforcement it's probably pretty pretty close to the top of the list wouldn't you so there's a little five-year-old girl named mackenzie brown who decided she wanted to do something about that Mackenzie met Officer James Gibbous when uh, Officer Gibbous had actually pulled her mom, Megan, over <laughs> for speeding. But Megan, for the record, said Officer Gibbous was so nice, he didn't even give me a ticket. But as Officer Gibbous was walking back to his cruiser, the rear window of the car started rolling down. And he looked over, obviously, and he sees little five-year-old Mackenzie, and he sees she's holding out through the window her little stuffed animal, Moose, Mr. Moosey. And he's like, I pretty quickly see this adorable little girl, and she clearly wants me to take her stuffed animal. I'm like, I can't do that. And uh, she was like, no, I want you to take Mr. Moosey so he can keep you safe as a police officer. How do I say no to that? So he took Mr. Moosey and kept him for a while, and Mr. Moosey did a good job of keeping him safe. And that's when Officer Gibbous had a really brilliant insight. He said, I'm going to send Mr. Moosey to other law enforcement agencies so that they could be protected as well. So over the last three years, Mr. Moosey has served along air marshals and uh, federal officers and canine units and different firefighters and even the NYPD anti-terrorism unit. And if, if you're interested in following with Mr. Moosey and where he's at right now, he's got his own Facebook page. The guy is really getting along there, doing a good job. Which is important because the world can be a scary place, right? There's a lot of things that go on that make you go, Ugh. So I would ask you this question. What is it in your life? What is your Mr. Moosey that makes you feel safe and secure and protected? Do you have a little stuffed animal? You do, don't you? What is it for you? I know for some people, it's the evening ritual. Do you do this? Like, I think maybe this is just a dad thing. I go around and make sure every door is locked, every window is secured, the garage door is down, and then when I wake up in the middle of the night, I have to go back and look again just to make sure. So, I don't know, do you do that? You have like a, an alarm system or something? You just feel like, this is the thing that makes me feel I'm okay. Several years ago, I was actually a kid. I was at a church league softball game, and I saw a sweet little grandma off in the distance. She had a t-shirt, and I couldn't quite tell what was on it. And as I got closer, the t-shirt said, and it had a hand with a gun in it, and it said, I don't dial 911, I dial 357. Maybe that's what makes you feel safe and secure. You've got concealed carry. For many people, their sense of security is tied to how much money is my bank account have right now. Anybody like have a secret 20 or 100 or something like in your car or in your wallet or something? Some, like my dad taught me that. Just keep a little bit of money somewhere just in case. And maybe for you, it's literally under your mattress. Where do you hide your extra money? <laughs> you can trust me. I don't know, for some people, it's how much is in my stock account for my retirement fund, and is it going up or down, and that makes you feel fluctuating day-to-day, -day, how secure and safe you feel. Somebody who grew up in the Great Depression, like my grandma did, maybe you got some family members like that, or maybe you did, I don't know. Uh, for people like that, there cannot ever be enough food in the house. 
You open the pantry, it's overflowing. They've got food everywhere. And down in the basement, they've got the stuff that they've canned out of the garden. And you're like, why? You know, the grocery store is happy to keep our groceries for us. We could just go get more. But when you went through that, it's just something about it. I feel secure that I'll never be hungry. I've always got enough food in the house. Anybody, uh, you see maybe these weighted blankets, gravity blankets. That's a big thing that people feel like brings them a sense of peace. For me, as a dad, I know that... I feel like my kids need a cell phone, but I don't know how at the same time I survived childhood without my parents. How many of you grew up in a time when you left the house in the morning and you were expected to be home by the time the streetlights came on? You could be gone all, you could be dead for eight hours and my parents would never have known. And that was, you know, and I'm, I think about that and I'm like, we give our kids cell phones really early now because we want to know that they're okay and we've got a way to get a hold of them. But I'm so glad that we didn't have cell phones when we grew up because there would be video evidence of <laughs> some of the things that we did. I don't want my mom to know how high I climbed on that cliff above the river, and you don't either. So somebody asked NBA Hall of Famer Charles Barkley back when his daughter was 12, how are you going to deal with it when your daughter starts dating? And he said, I figure I just kill the first one and word will get out. That's what, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your sense of well-being comes from your friend's your squad, the people around you, your spouse, you just feel more confident when you've got the people around you that you trust and they've got your back and you know that, that, that you've got their back. Maybe for some people, and maybe this is you, it's your educational level. You feel like, I can always get a job. Maybe it's your job itself it makes you, or where you live and you live in a very safe place and that makes you feel comfortable. And I think all of us, uh, Chad referred to this earlier, we can all sleep easier knowing that the greatest military in the world has our back against enemies foreign and domestic. It's a great thing to just live in the time and the place that we live. But I still got to ask you, think about where do you find your sense of security ultimately? Uh, we've been looking in this series, Better Than Okay, and what we've been thinking about is what happens when God gets involved in your situation. And the Bible would point us to the God of the Bible as saying, this is when you will thrive. When you invite God into your life, you'll be better than okay. So here's what the Bible says about God. Psalm 37, 39, look up at the screen. It says, the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Now, if you can look at these words and you say, yeah, I believe that's true. Would you read these words aloud with me? I don't want you to be disingenuous. If you don't think that's true, you, know, you don't have to read it. But if you do believe that, would you read this with me? The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Man, that is so powerful. And we've been looking at, in the Old Testament, through this whole series, at different accounts, true stories from the life of the prophet Elisha. I'd invite you to find 2 Kings in your Bible again. It's, if you've got a paper one, it's towards the beginning. And it's, uh, if you've got the Bible app, it's just really easy. Just type in 2 Kings and you'll find it really quickly. And we're going to look at another true story. This starts in a 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Let's see how God is the one who protects us. Starting in verse 8. When the king of Aram, that's modern-day Syria, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we'll mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place where the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Really good for the king of Israel and the people of Israel. Really annoying and irritating to the king of Aram. He starts to believe that maybe he's got a spy in his midst. So verse 11, the king of Aram became very upset over this. And he called his officers together and he demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? 
It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. This is before Siri. This is before Alexa. But the king is convinced he's got a mole in his, in his midst. Back during the American Revolutionary War, uh, then-General George Washington had to set up what became probably one of the first spy rings in the United States. It was called the Culper Ring. And they would gather information, pass it along to General Washington so he knew what the British troops were planning on doing. It started in New York City, and they had an elaborate pathway to get the information through Long Island on up into Connecticut, at which point it would be taken by messenger to General Washington. And uh, there were a couple of people who were key in the Culper Ring. One of them was Anna Smith Strong, and the other was Caleb Bruce, Brewster. Yeah. And Caleb Brewster had a whale ship that he would go out and he would attack British ships, capture their sailors, uh, retrieve this information about what the British were planning on doing. Then he would sail into one of six coves because obviously if he landed at the same place every time, the British would have captured him. So he'd land in different places. The problem then for the spy ring was how do we know where Caleb's at to get the information to General Washington? That's where Anna Smith Strong comes in. She would go out and she would hang a black petticoat on her clothesline. We got a, this is not an actual picture because obviously it would have been black and white back then, right? No, I don't, first service didn't get it. There's no <laughs> photography in the Revolutionary War. You guys are sharp. So she would hang in a black petticoat, which means I have information about where Brewster's at, and she would hang one to six handkerchiefs, depending on which cove he was at, and that's how they got the message out. The king of Aram is convinced something like this is going on. Somebody in his inner circle, like how does the Israelites already know what we're going to do when we've only talked about it among, you know, the high-level staff? And that's when one of the officers spoke up and said, it's, it's not us. It's the God of Israel telling the prophet Elisha. And right here, it's the king of Aram getting an introduction to the God of Israel, the God of everything. And good luck trying to outsmart God because he knows everything. The Bible says in Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered. It's laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows everything. Do you ever think about that, that God knows and sees everything? You ever think about how wonderful that is that God loves us anyway? <laughs> he knows it all. So the king of Aram had this idea. I know what I'm going to do. You, you tell me that God's telling Elisha who tells the king, well, let's just take out the metal link. Let's just take out Elisha. So that's what he's going to do. Verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Things are about to get real western, real quick. You ever seen uh, like the western movies where they'll come out of the cabin early in the morning, the sun's just coming up, and they come out, and they're like, there's Indians all around on the, that's what this was like, thousands and thousands of troops and chariots and horses all up around the city of Dothan. And, uh, but here's the thing. I'm not sure that the king of Aram has thought this all the way through. If God can send a warning to Elisha to give to the king of Israel, watch out, Arameans are coming for you. What's to keep God from just giving an, a, a warning to Elisha? The Arameans are coming for you. Get out of town. Maybe it should have made the king of Aram a little more nervous that Elisha stayed put. What does he know that we don't know? Why, you know, God either didn't warn him or he did, and he's not worried about it. Look at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, ooh, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. 
Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And verse 16 is hands down one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. I like how like, the NIV says it this way. There are, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. If you're a person who's kind of new to the Bible or you've been around a while, this is a fantastic verse for you to, to memorize, to deeply imprint in who you are. When you are with God, there are always more with you than there are with the others who are against you. And I love what the Bible tells us about God. Our God protects us. Our God is a fortress. He's strong and he's mighty, and you can go to him and you can seek his protection and he will give it to you. Our God is almighty. He can do anything. Our God knows everything. Our God is capable of handling anything that comes into your life. There's never anything that stumps him. There's nothing that he goes, ooh, let me get back with you on that. I just don't know what to do right now. There is never a time when people are going to say, I've outsmarted God. God is capable of handling anything that gets into your life. He will literally stand between you and the danger. Our God is amazing. As Paul would write later in Romans 8.31 and ask the question, if God's for us, who can ever be against us? And what's the answer to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. No one. Our God is amazing. And when you are scared and when you are anxious and when you are at the end of your rope and you don't have any more resources and you don't have anyone to turn to and you're out of money and you're out of time, you need to turn to God because he will be there for you, right? Remember the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested and soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane right outside Jerusalem where he was praying with his disciples and they were carrying torches and clubs and swords and the Apostle Peter thinking... Um, Ill intention. I mean, he had good intentions. He just horrible execution. Swings a sword at one of the soldiers trying to protect Jesus, and she's like, "Hey, hey, stop that!" And he take the, took a guy's ear off. Actually, Peter did with his sword, and Jesus restored the man's ear. And he said, "Look, if I don't want to be arrested, I ain't getting arrested. Do you not think that if I just snapped my fingers and said the word, my father wouldn't put at my disposal twelve legions of angels?" Now, when we're talking about angels, these are the, literally the most powerful created beings that God has ever put into our universe. And one angel killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Legions of angels are like tens of thousands upon tens of thousands. Jesus said, this is what I can turn to if I need them. And this is what Elisha and his servant are looking at surrounding the hills around the town. Because the Arameans thought that Elisha was surrounded. What they didn't know was that they were surrounded. I want you to remember that as we go back to 2 Kings chapter 6. So Elisha told him, don't be afraid. Those who are on our side are more than theirs. And then he said this prayer. O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The irony here is that they have yelled down to Elisha, literally or figuratively, come out with your hands up, we've got you surrounded. And Elisha says, eh, I don't think so, I think we've actually got you surrounded. Yeah, I don't think we're going to come out. So here's what happens next. So, verse 18. An Aramean army, as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You've come to the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me. I'll take you to the man, Elisha, that you're looking for. 
and he led them to the city of Samaria. Which makes me think, you go, well, I thought he made them blind. God made them blind. I don't think it was literal blindness. I think this is more like, these are not the droids you're looking for kind of blindness. They didn't recognize that Elisha was the guy they came for, and Elisha literally leads them right into Samaria, the capital city of Israel, at which point the king of Israel is looking at, the Aramean soldiers are right here, and they're under our power. Verse 21, this is crazy. So, uh, as soon as they had entered Samaria, verse 20, Elisha prayed, Lord, now open their eyes, let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered they were in the middle of Samaria. And the king of Israel, when he saw this, he's like, oh, can I kill them? Can I kill them? He said it twice. He's like so excited. Ooh, can I kill my enemies right here? This is so great. And then Elisha's like, no, since when do we kill POWs? We don't do that. We're Israel. We're God's people. We don't do that. It's, it's like what we talked about last week when Jesus taught us, you don't go after your enemies. You love your enemies, and you pray for people who persecute you. It's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12. He said, look, don't let evil conquer you. You conquer evil by doing good. And that's exactly what Elisha tells the king of Israel they should do. You know, of course now we're not going to kill them. Do we kill prisoners of war? No. Give them food and drink. Send them home to their master. And look what happened as a result. Verse 23, the king made a great feast for the Arameans, sent them home to their master, and after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. There was peace. There was protection. And our God stepped in the middle and protected Elisha, and he protected all the Israelites in this time. And I just want to ask you, do you have a story, maybe not at this level, and maybe not this epic, but do you have a story of God protecting you from something? I distinctly remember a time that I feel like God protected me back in college. Freshman year, it was a Saturday night. I was walking out to my car to go home for the weekend. About three-quarters of the way through the parking lot to my car, I remembered, oh, I was going to take my laundry so I could do it at home for free. So, but then I have this other thought. But I'm most of the way to the car. I'll just do it when I come home on Monday, back to the dorm. And I literally then had another strong feeling like, no, go get your laundry. If you had surveillance footage of me, you would have seen me doing this, arguing with myself. At that time, I was just convinced. I'm just like, what is this? This is dumb. Fine, I'll go get the laundry. Like, I'm arguing with myself. Maybe 30 to 60 seconds worth of walking back into the dorm, get my laundry, back to the car. Fine, there it is. Get in the car, drive all the way home. I'm almost home driving the highway into town. And ahead of me, something looks really weird. It's kind of dark. And there's an accident that has just happened. And the police aren't even there yet. And what I found out later was somebody crossed the center line and there was a head-on collision, fatalities. And it was in that moment and in the hours after, I was talking to mom about it, I realized if I hadn't gone back to get my laundry, I would have maybe been one of the ones in that collision. And it could have been me who was dead. And, I, and for decades now, I've just been kind of convinced that God protected me from something. You have a story like that where you... And maybe we'll find out all kinds of stories when we get to heaven of times that God protected us. He's going to like, you, you just don't even know how many times I had to send an angel because you were this close. And isn't that an amazing feeling to know that our God protects? And I wish I could end the sermon right now. But I can't because I need to say one more thing. I just need to acknowledge that there is a tension. Yes, God protects us. Sometimes God protects us from our own dumb decisions even. But what about all the times when God doesn't protect? If I'm accurate in saying that God protected me from that accident, why didn't he protect the other people who were in the accident? 
Maybe you've got a story in your life where you can say, look, I was doing the right things and God didn't protect me from blah, blah, blah. And that may even be a story that was the launching point for you walking away from God or, or starting a sense of disbelief in God or even just disappointment with God because you're thinking, if there was ever a time when God should have been there for me, this was the time that it would have been and he wasn't. And a lot of people, and maybe this is you, find it so difficult to believe in a God who does not always protect doesn't always protect children. He doesn't protect people who are doing good in the name of God. Let's just acknowledge this and just admit it. God doesn't always protect people from harm. It's okay to say that. It's okay to think about it. It's okay to talk about it. I'll show you. Look in the Bible. There are times when God didn't protect people. If you go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 16, you see the Apostle Paul, amazing church planter, huge Christian, wrote a lot of what we have in the Bible. He was in Philippi in Greece, planting a church there. A lot of people came to the Lord. It was amazing. But there were some people in town who didn't like Paul, got him arrested on false charges. He was beaten in front of everybody, humiliating and painful. He and his companion Silas, they were put in prison illegally, and they were locked in the deepest dungeon of that. God did not protect him. You think, like, if there's a time to bring out the bubble wrap and surround one of your people, God, this would have been the time, and God did not give a miracle of protection. So we find Paul and Silas in the middle of prison in chains at midnight. And you know what they were talking about? This is the last time I plant a church. I'm not going back to church. I'm not going to life group. I'm not listening to Joy FM ever again. It's all Casey from here forward because God didn't protect me. He should have and he didn't. Like, I am a man of God. Why didn't you protect me? Now, God brought him a miracle, but it wasn't enough time to protect him from the beating. It's, the Bible says that midnight, Paul and Silas, just for the record, were singing hymn, hymns of praise to God, and the other prisoners were listening, and God did send a miracle. God sent, then he sent a, an earthquake, and it released everybody from their chains, and the doors popped open, and Paul could have walked out, but he didn't. The jailer came in, convinced his prisoners were gone. He was about to kill himself, and Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all still here, and that jailer took Paul home that night, like one in the morning, he uh, put bandages on Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas told them about Jesus. The whole family got baptized in the middle of the night. It was an amazing story. I want you to see this, though. God did not protect Paul at first, but he still worshiped him, and you can do that, too. And God, if he doesn't send a miracle immediately, God will send a miracle eventually. You can always be convinced of this, because we know what God is like, and we knew who God is, and he promises us good things in the Bible, and it may not even come until the last day, but you can be convinced just like Paul and Silas were, that eventually this is going to work out okay. And I love it that they chose to worship God before the miracle happened. That's a huge challenge to us to think about. There are times when God doesn't protect us. You go back to the Old Testament, there were three men who lived in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The national law was, because the king was an egalomaniac, he, he was very self-centered. He created an idol, and he said, whenever a signal goes off, you've got to worship the idol. And by virtue of that, you're worshiping me. And these three guys said, no, we only worship God. We're not going to bow down to that idol. I said, well, you're going to be executed. We've got a smelting furnace here. We're going to throw you in it if you don't bow down. Like, we're not going to do this. Daniel 3, 17 and 18 says, this is their testimony right before they were to be executed. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. We are going to honor God with our lives, even if he doesn't protect us. 
And I want you to know something as I tell you this, and I challenge you. I am trying to prod you a little bit, but I am in no way trying to minimize your pain about the things that you've gone through in life. I'm not trying to tell you that it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to say that it was something that, you know, you just have to get over. There are so many painful, unjust things that happen in life, and I completely get it if it made you bitter. It doesn't have to, but I get it. There's maybe times in your story where somebody should have stepped forward and protected you, and they didn't. Maybe you think God should have. But I just want you to know that doesn't mean God doesn't care, and it doesn't mean that he won't make it right, because he will. Just write this down. When God has a plan, it, he may not always protect me immediately, but he will protect me eventually. I want you to think about this. In the Gospels, I would invite you to read them with this thought in mind. How many times did people try to kill Jesus? If you look at it, this might shock you. There were six attempts made on Jesus' life from the time he was born till the time that he died. And for five times, God protected Jesus. He protected him when he was born, and Herod tried to kill the babies. He protected him when he was in his hometown, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. He protected him when he was in Jerusalem in the temple, and people picked up rocks to stone. God protected him, protected him, protected him, until he didn't. That sixth time, when they tried to kill Jesus, they were successful. But what happened on the other side of that? Do we not gather together and share communion to remember that because Jesus was willing to not be protected, that he bought us redemption and forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life and a promise that we will be resurrected into real physical bodies, that we have the hope of heaven, that we can have our relationships restored, that we can have a right relationship with God and friendship with God? All those things because God did not protect Jesus. There are times when God will not protect you, and I don't think I can sit here or stand here and tell you that I know why. Sometimes we can talk about it, and maybe we can figure it out. There are times where you're just going to have to say, I'm going to have to ask God, and he can explain it to me later. But I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him when he protects me. I'm going to trust him when he doesn't. And I can tell you, there's things in my life God protected me from. There's things that God didn't, and... Another perspective on this, I am the man and the pastor that I am today because of some of the things that God did not protect me from. Because it's developed virtue and character into me that I would never have gained any other way. I have compassion for things that people go through because I went through it myself. You're the same way. You are the person that you are because of the things that God did not protect you from. And I'm not trying to, again, minimize, but maybe that's a perspective that you want to carry with you, that God sometimes doesn't protect us immediately, but he can always protect us eventually, and that he can bring meaning out of even the worst things in our lives. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. As we spiritually mature and grow in our faith, and we become more like Christ, eventually we learn that God's eternal purposes don't always align up with our personal preferences. Does that hurt? Sometimes. And you should grieve the loss of things that happen. But do we continue to trust him? Yeah, we do. And we choose to trust him. Do we continue to try to worship him in spite of what's going on in our lives? Absolutely. Do we try to in some way see the bigger picture of what God is doing? Oh, man. I like what Jesus said, John 16, 33. He said this the night that he was betrayed, the night before he died. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, 
I've already overcome the world. You're going to be okay. You're going to be better than okay. I want you to think about what this could do for your life if you were just to invite God into it and to make things better for you. And, and maybe that doesn't look like fixing every single thing that's wrong, but maybe that looks like God giving you the strength and the grace to endure it. Maybe it's that God makes you into a beautiful person that you never would have been had you not endured these things. Because our God is great like that. He takes even things that shouldn't have been and he makes them right. So I would invite you today, um, I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment. We're gonna sing a song and and just invite you to have a conversation with God about what that looks like for you to go forward and trust with him. Maybe for you, it's to submit your life to Jesus and say, I need you to fix what's wrong with my life. And if you've never done that before and you've never said Jesus is my Lord and he's gonna control my life, if you've never submitted to him by being baptized in water, today is a great day to do that. We're always ready to help people say yes to Jesus and be baptized. Maybe for you, it's you, your orbit is taking you so far from God and from church because you just you know, disappointment with him or whatever, welcome back. And connection is a healthy place that we would love to have you be part of. So whatever it is you need to do, would you have that conversation? And would you stand with me and let me pray for us? Father, I do thank you that you are even here now among us, that you have a plan that ends with nothing but good for those who trust you and who are called according to your purpose. I pray that you will help us to start to see things in our lives in a new light, that we will understand that you are for us, not against us, and that you can work anything out. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice you made that makes it possible for us to have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, just bring things to our mind that we need to remember to be encouraged by. I pray that you will make this a strong church family that truly cares for each other. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.